We are looking at Christmas stories and legends in the songs and such, and we're not looking to do a devotional in these Monday mornings. This is more for fun, so I hope you do enjoy. Today is Who Told You About St. Nicholas? To most of us in America in particular, but also in several Western European countries and Canada, Santa Claus is this big, jolly character, um, fairly rotund in a uh, red suit with um, white trimming and got the big cap on, big beard. And he comes down the chimney and he leaves the gifts. And most of that actually comes fairly recently in history. Uh, it comes from Thomas Nash and his drawings in New York newspapers and magazines uh, that then became very, very popular and advertising around that period. Coca-Cola took it and ran with it and has made many of the most iconic pictures of who we think Santa Claus looks like, um, basically because they decided what he did and put it there. But we also get a lot of information, um, not information, the root of many of our stories from The Night Before Christmas by Clement Moore. So um, this is all fairly recent, you know, the last couple of hundred years. Before then, there was certainly a St. Nicholas, and there are, uh, there are traditions that are built up around him. Uh, and we're only going to talk about him because right now that's our limit on Monday morning. We have to keep it pretty tight. Uh, but there are other visitors in other countries. Uh, many of them are just variations on St. Nicholas. But others are like old old woman Grimaldi, um, and there are uh, evil elves, and and so they're different gift givers. So it makes you wonder. Well, they came up with those, and we came up with these. Is is was there really anybody named Saint Nicholas? Well, actually, there were several, but the the one that we're talking about, yes, yeah, uh, he was born around 270 AD in Turkey, uh, modern-day Turkey, at the time just Asia Minor, and he later became the Bishop of Myra, uh, which is a, a locality there. But he became uh, known as a patron saint to so many because of the great things he did. And we'll talk about a couple of those great things here, but before then, he's a patron saint of you. If you are a sailor, uh, if you're a merchant, if you're a pawnbroker, if you're an archer, if you're a repentant thief, if you're a sex worker, if you're a child, if you are a brewer, um, if you're unmarried, and in some cities and countries in, in Europe, if you're a student. So St. Nicholas covers a lot of territory. And you might wonder, why? Well, actually, if you take a look at churches all across Europe, and who they're dedicated to. The number one personage would probably not surprise you. That's Mary, the mother of Jesus. Number two, St. Nicholas. So who is this guy? Very little was written around the time of his life. A lot came later. And there are arguments about how much of this is historical and how much is not, but uh, there are enough traditions and enough little fig leaves here, there, and the other, and little seeds to follow the trail that uh, we're saying, all right, all right, there's something here. Well, the, the story we come across most often 
is that early on, uh, after he became a bishop, he gave away all of his family's wealth. Very unusual if you've read a history of the popes and the bishops throughout. The, and this is not anti-Catholic. This is just a reality. There are an awful lot of Protestant bad guys. All right? So we're not picking on anybody. But if you watch the way that popes tended to buy and sell and create new bishops so that they could grab more money here, there, and the other, it was awful. But not St. Nicholas. He gave his wealth away, but he must have still had some. Because there was uh, a man in the Greek seaport of Patara, or Lycia, to uh, more modern people, and these, this fellow had three beautiful daughters, and I believe that his wife had perished. She doesn't really get a mention in the stories. He had fallen on hard times financially, and he had no money for a dowry for the daughters. For like it or not, and I certainly don't, uh, women at the time had to have a dowry to have a man be interested in them as a wife. Uh, as a mistress, he, or as a sex worker, sure, but as a wife, you had to have a dowry. She had to bring money, land, title, something into the marriage. And this man now no longer had any. And it was, um, it was heartbreaking for him and for his daughters, the brutal reality of the day was that they would have to be sold into some sort of sex work. Uh, there was no other job for them available at that time. And again, all kinds of injustices brought this situation to bear. We can rail against those, but let's just tell the story. St. Nicholas, at the time just Nicholas, or Bishop Nicholas, heard what was going on, but he also knew that people could often be embarrassed to receive charity. So one night, quietly, he took a bag of gold coins and he tossed it through the window. Some of the stories say that it hit the mantle. Others say that it fell in socks that were hung by the fire to dry, because that's what you did. You, you washed out your socks and hung them up by the fire to dry. And so the coins dropped into the socks. And it was enough to redeem the oldest daughter. The next night, he came and tossed another bag in secretly. And the same thing. The, of course, the man was over, overwhelmed with joy that two of his daughters now were saved from a life worse than death. But he really wondered who was doing this. So he stayed up late and he saw the bishop, Nicholas, tossing a third bag the third day. And he rushed out and Nicholas was, oh, no, no, I, I didn't want you to see me. I didn't want you to know where it came from. You must promise to never tell. Somebody did. <laughs> and so there's that story of giving gifts at night and the socks hung by the chimney with care, as Clement Moore would put it later. Uh, all of this starts to roll at this stage. Um, and by the way, to this day, pawnbrokers, remember he's a patron saint of pawnbrokers as well. The pawnbroker's symbol is what? There's a, a little arm coming out with three gold lights. That is a symbol of the three bags of gold that St. Nicholas tossed in. Other stories 
talk of him calming a storm at sea. It's fairly common that early saints are given credit for calming storms because Jesus did quite a bit of that, obviously. Um, another one that comes from several sources and has some historical merit is that there were three men that were about to be killed. They were soldiers. They'd been accused of some crime and a jury, because they were soldiers, they got a jury, a jury uh, had swung against them. And as they were about to be executed, Bishop Nicholas uh, forced his way onto the scene and he grabbed the executioner's sword and forced it down to the ground. Uh, evidently, he was a formidable man and told him he would not kill these men. Did he save all condemned people? No, it seems that he had heard something and he told them, you wait. And he found the jurors and evidently juries watched the executions back then. And he found a juror that had swayed the rest of them and accused him of taking a bribe. And the man was confronted with evidence and said, yes, I took the bribe. And so the soldiers were released. So that, um, that made him a very, very popular figure because back at that time, justice was very hard to, to find. Somebody to speak up for a condemned person, perhaps even harder to find. But Bishop Nicholas, later Saint Nicholas, did that. After his parents died, like I said, um, he gave his money away. Uh, he arranged care for, for many others. I'm just going down through here. There's just so many. But there's one story which I absolutely love. And it's the thinnest story when it comes to history. Uh, and by the way, there are people that will argue with me about that. And they may have a point. I'm not a historian, so I don't know all sources. I, I just know the sources I've found. But there was a council at Nicaea. <clears throat> Many of you know the Nicaean Creed, for example. And if you don't, you should. Uh, and Constantine called this council in 325 AD because the church was being split over a couple of things, but the main thing to be addressed was on the nature of God. Is, is he Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, fully eternal, of the same substance, from, with no beginning, with no end, co-equal, one and three. That's called the Trinity. Or uh, was Jesus created by God first? and then made equal to God. And there are many forms of that, and those are generally called Arianism. But a lot of people who believe some form of that are actually insulted if you call them that, Arians. And so, you know, no need to insult them, unless we have to, and I don't think we have to. But there are forms also of Trinitarianism. So this is a big, big deal. And Constantine didn't really care. He just wanted it settled. Constantine's son was going with Arius, that Jesus was created and then made equal with his father. Uh, and so you could say he had a little bias that way, but it doesn't seem that he tried to sway anybody. So the arguments go back and forth. And uh, you have Athanasius, who's the, um, the champion of the Trinitarians. The, the discussions got heated. And the stories are told uh, in a variety of ways this is said to have occurred where Bishop Nicholas got so angry at an Arian who was saying Jesus was created and not forever co-eternal with God with no beginning and no end, 
that he got up and just slapped the guy. <clears throat> Other versions have him punching the guy. Some versions say it was Arius himself, which is a fantastic picture in my head, but probably not historical. Uh, it was probably just one of the bishops that was there. He, he, he got in trouble for that. Constantine wasn't going to put up with that and uh, temporarily defrocked him and put him in prison. Uh, he was released shortly thereafter. The story is that Jesus and uh, Mary visited him in prison and released him, but I, I don't buy that. Most likely what happened was he was just released because um, the Trinitarians won the battle. Uh, they won that argument. And so from then on, Trinitarianism was the, the law of the land. And so that's, um, that's a pretty cool thing, right? Those are the stories. Um, by the way, in Eastern Orthodox churches, St. Nicholas is often seen in paintings striking a bishop at the Council of Nicaea. So they fully embrace this. Well, people even today will do this every year. You know, the, I, I think it's very cool that news stations and the Air Force and others will track Santa Claus as he travels around the world. I mean, that's so cool. And then others will do this whole thing about, now it'd be impossible for him to visit every child because, you know, let's just say that St. Nicholas has some form of quantum mechanics that works for him, okay? It's a great story. And we can talk about the real St. Nicholas but I also think it's fun to tell tales and myths and legends and let those be a part of our lives as well. So you, you do about Santa Claus what you want. And Santa Claus is just a, an English messing up of the name St. Nicholas. Uh, and in some Germanic countries, he's Sinterklaus. So it, we're not alone, right? But his, his visits and, and things like the elves and a reindeer and the like, that's more from the night before Christmas than it is um, anything to do with history. It's a relatively new legend. Hope you enjoyed this. Went on for a little bit. Uh, God bless you. I hope that your Advent season is a great one. We will continue with these lighthearted Monday morning 